Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, Steve. What's up, Kenny? Are you in your... Special coach's office, yes, it's really special too. No offense, I thought you'd have a bigger office. What's going on? <laughs> what What are the goals over there over your left shoulder? Are those some team goals? Not allowed to, oh, you're not gonna hide the team goals, you don't want to tell us what's going on. I'm just not allowed to see those top secret. All right, you ready to go? Yeah, all right, our guest today. Uh, I've just been a big fan of as a player, then a coach, and then as a humanitarian, because he helped out my foundation, Run Freely, which was very kind of Steve Kerr. And I kind of like where he's coming from in some other regard. He's a multiple NBA champion as a player and coach. He's part of the woke mob. He's Steve Kerr. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Kenny. How What's you doing? That? What's up with that dumb word? I, you know what? We can go all over the place because you, you have, there's all sorts of facets to your story. Um you and Coach Popovich, and not that others haven't, you know, taken stands on certain things, but to me, you two seem to be the leading voices many times when certain things come up. Um, and it's funny because we're taping this the day after uh, the 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 election, the midterm election, and for our side, <laughs> I think people know where we've come from, uh, did better than expected, although I think a lot of those polls were intentionally put out to try to dissuade people from even voting. So I don't know if they outperformed anything. They beat the spread in sports yeah. parlance, right? That's um, right? So I, I had texted Steve and said, we're either going to just bum out for an hour and it's going to get really dark, but hopefully honest, or we'll celebrate. But we'll we'll do something in between. I, I think it's funny when you, I am obviously not in a platform like you, but we get criticism for standing up for certain things and then you get you're called a lefty or a socialist or you're woke or you're this or you're that. I mean, if, if you really go down the list of the things you personally stand for, forgetting what party you're in or who you vote for, aren't they mostly just kind of moral things, equal mm -hmm. rights, fair treatment of others, fair housing, health care, taking care of the planet. Like most of those things, yeah. most people can commonly agree. Yeah. Those are all kind of things I'm for. Those are just kind of basic human rights. Um, yeah, I mean, you're just trying to uh, champion for um, you know decency and uh, and humanity. That's that's all, and I I think that's um, that's what's alarming. I think about the modern state of of politics is that uh, somewhere along the way, over the last decade, I don't think it was it was Trump. Trump definitely um, you know fed the fire, but uh, the the sort of lack of dignity uh, in in public discourse over the last couple of decades, um, I think that matters. You know, there there used to be a, a more of a sense of decency, even if it was fake. At least it was, you know, people Civil. were treating each other well in, in in public discourse. And now it's like all all gloves are off, and uh, it's led to a pretty dark place for us. Well, I think it's it's also the problem is people have joined into their camp so hard that you don't ever get to the point to have legitimate discussions and try to find a middle ground. It's just, Oh, you're red and you're blue. So we must yeah. dislike each other. I'm not going to listen to anything you say. I was just having lunch before I came to do this taping and overheard a conversation. Right. Now. I just stayed out of it. I just knew it was going to go bad. Right. They can, they, they have their opinion. I, I, I disagree with a bunch, but like I was starting to say at the top, just pick any issue. Most people think marijuana should be legal and those who have been imprisoned for nonviolent, that's, that's the difference. Um, why, why are they in prison? You know, okay. There's one issue. Shouldn't all of us be able to work decent jobs at a decent wage and be able to take care of our families. So the healthcare is an issue. And most people, yeah, 
and, and it's just funny when you put the label on it, then all of a sudden the sides take over. Like, right. like people are okay for socialism for wealthy people. They call those tax yeah. breaks. Yeah. But they're against yeah. socialism for poorer people, less advantaged people. You're right. It's just a terminology yeah. thing half the time. Well, it's like in the sports world, like, like, you know, the sports teams, professional teams are owned by, you know, some of the country's biggest capitalists. And then we have a salary cap, you know, <laughs> so the capitalist, you know, suddenly and we have we have revenue sharing, you know, where, where you know, the wealthy teams are sharing with the, the poor teams in order to make it work for everyone. And it's kind of like. Hey, yeah, yeah. Guess what? That that you know, that's the only way it works for some people. Is if you know, there's a there's a sharing of the pie. But for whatever reason, you know, any thought of that happening um, in society, um, it it it's immediately branded as you know, communism or anti-American. And um, but that's 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 part of you know the modern media machine. Um, Media for profit um, didn't used to be a thing. I don't know how long ago this really um, started, but in my mind, um, you know, media for profit these days is is so bad. It's so negative because it just it it pulls people into those camps that you're talking about, and then it just reinforces the negative uh, stereotypes of the other side. Uh, and meanwhile, these these uh, media companies are are just churning out the dollars by, you know, fomenting anger and and distrust. And it's like, yeah, this is not really a good recipe for a healthy country. There are times where things have happened in this country. I believe it was the shooting in Texas. Didn't, didn't you come to the podium that same day? Tell me if I have the chronology right. Yeah, where, you've like, all day. You've all it was day. just like. I can't talk about basketball right now. Like this was so heavy on you and yeah. we'll get obviously to what happened with your father, but that's close to your heart, obviously gun violence in a different way. And and I remember you just like, uh, I just need to say some things, right? You just kind of like let it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lost it. We were in Dallas for a playoff game and Evaldi was about a four hour drive from Dallas. And all I could think about during the day after I saw the news was, the, you know, those, those poor little fourth grade children and what they what they faced and those poor families and I think I was thinking the exact same thing as everybody in this country It's like you know what the hell are we doing? Um, this is so disgusting and wrong and 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 all I could think about was that no matter what was proposed in Washington, um, we had fifty. Republican senators who would vote against that proposal uh, as it related to gun violence prevention, gun safety measures, even though, you know, 80 to 90 percent of people in this country want universal background checks, uh, regardless of your political affiliation. Um, we can't get something as simple as that passed because of this political divide we're in. And it's just it's that's what was on my mind that day was just how angry I was that people could actually put their career in politics, their power, the money they were getting from lobbyists ahead of the lives of a classroom full of fourth graders. Um, it, it, it made me sick to my stomach and I had to, I had to say something about it. Have there been times on other issues, you know, after George Floyd and there've been other examples where, you, Coach Pop, some others, you know, stood up, said what you had to say. It was almost like it had to come out, like it was so raw. And if you didn't have an opinion then, when would you ever have an opinion on anything, right? And right, right. You, you don't seem like you've ever had any kind of restraint for, I'm just going to be me, and, and you're not really fearful of being penalized, where a lot of other people in public-facing positions, ESPN, for example, other places, they – there is that fear, like, oh, if I go too far and say too much. Right. So have you, because of your position, you're, you know, pretty well off, pretty successful, untouchable to some degree. Do you feel that almost like you you have a little more, a looser rein to to really speak your mind? Uh, I have a lot of, lot of things going for me that allow me to speak to my mind. One is what you just mentioned, that um, I've had success. Uh, in in this job, and I have uh, stability 
in the job. Number two is I'm a white male. Um, so I have, uh, I, I have a, an easier job, an easier time uh, in my life speaking out than a minority would or a woman would. Um, number three, I live in the Bay Area. Um, frankly, everybody around here kind of agrees with me. Um, it's one of the things I really admire about Pop is that you know, Pop is he's unbelievably outspoken and honest, and um, he's in the middle of Texas, and uh, he takes a lot of flack for it. Most people here agree with me. Pop Pop doesn't have a lot of support. Uh, he's got some, but you know the majority doesn't support a lot of what he talks about in Texas. So. Um, but yes, the advantages that I have allow me to to speak up without fear. This is not to compare the two things at all. It's just a way of kind of explaining to you how I'm asking it. I lost twin sons. They were born too early, a long time ago. And there are people sometimes who think they don't want to bring up what happened. And mm -hmm. I'm the other way. I'm like, no, I like, they, they were actual human beings that didn't live for very long, but it, it I don't want to forget him. I don't want to pretend that didn't happen, even if it hurts to talk about it. And I think with your father, who was assassinated, for those many know, but some are, you know, not hip to this. You were a college freshman. Do I have that right? At the time, mm -hmm. you were at Arizona. Mm -hmm. Your father's across the world teaching at American University, and there was a terrorist attack. And I don't mean to make you drag you through the whole experience yeah. again, but that's something, obviously, you never forget. That goes without saying. Yeah. But yeah. also, do you like to remember him and all all the goodness that he brought and what he was to you for those years that you had him? Or do you compartmentalize it? That was this terrible period in my life. Like it's you're the no, only I, I like to I like to think of of my dad and Kenny. I didn't know that um, in your story, and I, so I, I boy, that's. Uh, that's terrible loss, and I'm I'm sorry that uh, you had to go through that. And I respect the fact that you want to keep discussing sure. the issue and the and the because it's it's so important to you and it's in your heart. And I feel the same way with my dad. I love when people come up to me and tell me stories about my dad that I may not have known, um, or you know, come across a letter that he wrote to me, you know, years ago, or. Or something, you know. It, it, those are those bring back great memories, and I'd rather keep them alive. So I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about my dad, and I, and I think you know his death for sure um, spurred my uh, intense passion for for gun violence prevention and and gun safety measures. So it, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah, and I apologize for the inelegant way I got into that. There's no easy way to talk about yeah. somebody's loss. I yeah, kind of stumbled right. backwards, so uh, hopefully it came out halfway respectful at least. Yeah, no, no doubt. But but to be a kid who – you were actually born in Beirut, correct? Uh, yeah, I was born in Beirut because my dad um, was teaching at the American University there. Uh, my older siblings were born there as well, but we moved to LA when I was pretty young, like two years old, because my dad took a job at UCLA as a professor. So most of my childhood was spent in LA, uh, but um, my dad would take occasional sabbaticals and we'd go overseas. And uh, we lived in Cairo for three years and uh, France for a year. And, um, at the time, I didn't, I didn't love it because I, you know, I loved LA and I'd grew up going to UCLA basketball games when John Wooden was a coach. And that's where I fell in love with the game. And, um, you know, that was my life. And all of a sudden we'd just pack up and go to Egypt. Like, really, <laughs> we're going to do this. Um, but now I look, look back on it and I realize it's, uh, one of the great gifts that my parents ever gave me was a worldly perspective and experience and, um, an understanding of, of, um, you know, how different cultures are, but how similar people are. And, um, and so I, I'm really grateful for the experience of living overseas. Did you ever go back to Beirut? I went, uh, I, I, I went back in 1983, just before my freshman year of college started. And, uh, that was three months before my dad was killed there and I have not been back since. Is it, intentional not to go back like it'd be too painful or just it just never came up to go back 
Um, I've actually had it planned a couple of times and then um, it just didn't work out. I, I really want to go back and I want to show my kids and my wife uh, the American University campus where I was born, uh, where, you know, my dad was born and, and raised uh, and and also died. Um, and I want to see the memorial that is there on campus for him. Uh, we're going to make it there uh, someday, but, um, the, the occasion hasn't, hasn't happened yet. So you're talking about being in Los Angeles, watching John Wooden and being a little kid around that program. That that's pretty good spot to be. If you like the game of basketball, incredible spot. And then I ended up going to his camps when I got old enough, because he he retired in in, uh, 75 when I was 10 years old. I, the first games I remember Bill Walton was playing. So it would have been 72, you know, 71, 72, 73, somewhere in there. Um, and that was, you know, right in the in the middle of their dynasty when they won, I think, eight in a row, uh, seven in a row, something like that, eight out of 10 or 10 out of 12 in the end in, in Wooden's last 12 years. Um, so going to those games, uh, not an empty seat at Poly Pavilion, the band playing, uh, you're six years old and, you know, all you want to do is, is hold a ball in your hand anyway. And then you see that it's like, Oh, wow. Like this is, this is where I want to be. So um, I'm pretty lucky to have that, that experience. Yeah. That's like somebody loving football and growing up going to Packer games or something, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah. Big time. Mecca. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You ever find it funny... All the success you've had as a coach, and there's like you know, there's young players in the league. They, not everybody knows the history, right? They just have their life. And did you ever surprise some people when they're like, "Oh wait, Steve Kerr was like really good at basketball too. He wasn't just a like." Do you ever have that occurrence where you? <laughs> no, I damn, I led the league in threes and I won a bunch of titles. I got rings all over the place. I think the uh, I think the players know it. I think the Last Dance helped a little bit. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> they actually saw some highlights. Uh, I was like, oh, it's more than just a rumor. You actually did play in the NBA. 
Uh, I know when I was my player's age, you know, I, Lenny Wilkins was uh, my second coach. I played for uh, Phoenix for a year and then I got traded to Cleveland and Lenny was a coach. And, and so I knew Lenny as the coach of the Sonics, you know, um, 79. Yeah. 79 championship. I remember watching that and um, him celebrating and, uh, but I didn't know him as Hall of Fame point guard Lenny Wilkins, you oh, know. Wow. So all I knew was I read the stories about him, but I had yeah. never really seen highlights. So, you know, it's a generational thing. You 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 probably know a little bit, but you don't know the details of of your coach's past life, you know. That's funny because I must be older than you. I think I am. Um, Lenny was my favorite player growing up. I grew up in okay. Seattle. He's yeah. our left-handed point guard with that little running hook and yep. out of Providence. And then he gets traded for Butch Beard. I was so mad. He was my favorite player. I'm like He's 11 years old. Yeah. And was, what do you mean you trade? And then, you know, he came back. He was a player coach. He was player coach at Portland as well. Yeah. He's actually on our podcast as well. I think really? he'll come on at, at another time. Yeah. So yeah. When did you know you're at Arizona doing pretty well, right? All conference a couple times that you were ready for the pros or did you have some doubts that you were good enough to be in the pros? No, I had doubts even after I made the pros, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, I didn't really think about the NBA while I was in college. Cause I was, uh, I, I really honestly wasn't good enough. And um, I was a late bloomer and, uh, you know, barely got a scholarship to Arizona last second. And it took me, you know, a couple of years to, to gain, uh, confidence and and become a you know a good player in the Pac-10 and uh, even my senior year you know we had a great team we made the Final Four and uh, I thought well maybe I could you know sneak into the NBA for a year or two you know a cup of coffee type thing um, so I, I honestly never really gave a, an NBA career a ton of thought. I talked to Rex Chapman the other day. He's actually also on our podcast at some point. We were on the phone, and he I was telling him I was about to talk to you, and he just – he praised you, forgetting that you were a great shooter. He was talking about just how tough you were. You like – and maybe that was born into what you were just saying, that you had to be. You you had mm -hmm. to get back up and, and, and fight for every minute, and then it turned out you were pretty good. I think, uh, you know, when you when you get that close to the NBA, you you, you know, a big part of it is figuring out how you're going to make it. You know, and and so you, you got to be good at something. I was I was an excellent shooter, so uh, I had that going for me. But I I realized like I was going to have to be somebody that the coach could count on. I, I had to compete, you know, my tail off every second because I wasn't going to play high minutes. And um, and I learned all that stuff. And and um, and yes, I think I was uh, even though I was physically overmatched a lot of times. I was. Uh, I was, you know, I was, I was gritty. I had the, you know, I had that, uh, the, uh, competitiveness in me that allowed me to stick around. Can you still shoot? I can shoot, but only free throws. My knees are shot, you know, no jump shots anymore. So I just shoot free throws. So you must have a kind of a special affection. Well, many people do for Steph and just the insane things that he can yeah. make out there. But given that you were quite a good three point shooter yourself, there must be something like a, a pretty cool connection that way. Like he's doing the 2.0 version of what I was doing in the late nineties or whatever. Yeah. Maybe even like 5.0. <laughs> I mean, it's uh it's stunning to watch Steph work every day. And, and cause he took shooting from a, a level that existed when he first got into the league, you know, threes were, were starting to climb and, and so he he took what was there already and expanded it a little bit. And then I think all of a sudden the, he got so good with everything, with his conditioning, with his ball handling, you know, it got to the point where he realized I can get a three off almost any time. And, you know, analytics had caught up to the game. It's like, no threes are better than long twos. Uh, and I think, it took me a couple of months into my first year coaching him. So 2014 uh, took me a couple of months to understand that pretty much any three he took was a good shot. And the reason it took me a long time is because for my entire basketball existence, uh, all these coaches I had, and they're all Hall of Fame coaches, Lute Olson, Lenny Wilkins, Phil Jackson, Pop, they would have been telling me what a terrible shot 
that was, <laughs> you know, like you can't shoot a fadeaway 25 footer, like get the ball inside. Um, but I realized after a couple of months, like, okay, he's shooting 45% on these shots. So they're That's 67% from two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what are we doing? Like, these are great shots. I, I, no matter what they look like, they're great shots. And, and then, you know, we won the title that year. He won MVP and he came back the next year. And I think his volume went from seven threes a game to 10 or 11. And that's where it was like, you know, let him loose. Like, don't, you know, not that we weren't letting him loose the year before, but it was like when everything sort of, we all sort of realized, oh my God, like Steph, shoot, shoot threes every time if you want. And uh, he's been at it ever since, but the guy's just incredible. He's such a special human being for, forget the player part. He's just an incredible human being. And he has allowed us to coach him all these years and, he just sets an amazing tone for our organization. Once in a while, he kind of throws a lazy pass. I've, I've noted that. Yeah, live you with, know what? I think it's style. That. No, I think he's doing that for style. You know, when he does that little shruggy, I'm pushing it left-handed. Right, right. And it barely gets to where he's going. It always right, gets there. Right. Not always, but most times. But it looks so, oh, if he were a junior high player, you'd be screaming at him. But because he does what he does, he gets yeah, and 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 I think what I realized about that too is that it's part of his rhythm. It's like it's not, it's it's beyond style. It is style, but it's like part of his flow. When you, I think part of the reason people love watching him play is because everything looks so effortless, and he looks so carefree. And so many athletes, and I was a prime example of this, are just grinding out <laughs> there, and it and it looks like they're having to try what? hard and. With Steph, it's like part of the what makes him who he is is there's this this sort of careless, free. I'm gonna just let it fly, and it's it shows in his sh shooting motion. It's so fluid, yeah. uh, but some of that is you got to live with you know some of the careless <laughs> passes. <laughs> but he's that good and that loose because he puts himself in a comfortable place because he works so hard. Like I yeah. like even watching him in warmups. Like I used to like watch. I'd like to watch Ichiro stretch. He was such an interesting guy. So uh, good at what he, there's something fascinating about watching yeah. somebody do their thing. And Steph will do that ridiculous thing where he keeps getting farther out. He makes damn near everyone like, yeah, yeah, it really is crazy. I, I see, I see so much of Dell, his dad in mm -hmm. his movements and his fluidity. Now Steph is, is a point guard. Dell was, it was more catch and shoot, you know, two, he was a two or a three, um, but there was this fluidity about Dell's shot, and I used to guard him. Um, and if you gave him any space, he just shot it so easily. And uh, clearly, Steph inherited, uh, you know, that shooting stroke and that fluidity and that hand-eye coordination. But then he's got the wheels, you know, and the incredible sure. speed and quickness and and balance that uh, to go with it. And that's what makes him one of the greatest of all time. I think you might've answered the question I was going to ask partly there in the discussion about Steph and he's on a whole different level, but the whole game changed to the sense that the players affected the change as opposed to the coaches deciding, Hey, we're going to have a lot of this type of basketball. Yeah. Now it's like the players got so good and seven footers are cranking threes. The game just evolved in your day. It was inside out. You still had Kareem people dumping it down low and kicking it out. Right. If somebody was open there were some plays set up off double screens for shooters like Fred Brown or whoever, but right. It was, it was a different game than it is today in, in a marked way. It's a different game, but like everything, it always takes a couple of visionaries to sort of, uh, you know, advance the game. And I think Mike D'Antoni was one, um, you know, his Phoenix teams around Oh four, when they got Nash, they, they downsized, you know, they played uh, Stoudemire at the five and Marion at the four and, but three shooters out there with those two guys. And it was like the whole league hadn't really seen much of that. Nelly was another guy who was a visionary, um, but ahead of his time. I mean, he was doing the small ball stuff, um, you know, in the eighties, but, mm -hmm. but nobody really copied it. Um, so I think it was sort of, you know, between Nelly, uh, Rick Patino, actually remember the Knicks teams, sure. uh, late eighties, they all of a sudden were shooting, an astronomical 12 to 14 threes a game, you know, yeah. nobody could believe it, <laughs> but they were pressing and trapping and shooting a bunch of threes. So I, I always 
I always like the visionaries. I like the guys who sort of break the mold of how the game is played. And then once that happens, then the players adapt. And like you said, you got these seven foot guys uh, who are growing up shooting threes because they're seeing other guys on TV do it. Yeah. You touched on watching John Wooden as a young kid in person. You had a pretty solid foundational coach in yourself at Arizona with Lute Olson. What, yeah. what type of things do you think you do today that you might have learned from him that you were informed by him? I think just the, uh, the importance of the, of the structure of uh, an organization um, of, um, you know, the sanctity of the group and, and, you know, you're trying to achieve something special and there needs to be an organized plan every single day. And that's what I learned when I got to Arizona every day was, was planned out. Coach Olson was so good about creating this aura about what we were trying to do and how we were going to get there. And when I got there to school, Arizona was the worst team in the country, literally, they were four and 24 the year before uh, Coach Olson got there. And I got there his first year. And uh, we made the NCAA tournament uh, my sophomore year. So Lute's second year, uh, Arizona made the tournament and then made 25 in a row after that. So he literally turned it around in, in a year and a half. It was incredible. But I saw how powerful that that daily organization, structure, vision, attention to detail how it all just worked together and, and built momentum. And um, I was lucky to have that experience. That's really the, what led me to this whole career I've had in basketball. But there's the, isn't there the key moment in coaching or teaching any kind of, you know, leadership role with you, you got people underneath you that you're their mentor, teach them so much that they can pull it off without you holding their hand anymore. That like I played football in college. I didn't play that much, but I remember asking my coach, Tony Knapp, why he let us call plays. I was like, this is kind of cool. He, he said, if I haven't taught you by Friday, what I want you to do, then I haven't done my job. Yeah. Is there something yeah. to that in the way a good coach coaches? No question. You know, Phil Jackson, um, was great with that. He, he would really coach us in practice and in the games. I mean, you could, you can still see him right now sitting on that, that huge chair of his, looking at his nails, you know, as the Bulls or Lakers are on the wrong side of an 8-0 run. And he's, <laughs> you know, he, he, he didn't flinch. He was like, all right, you guys get yourselves out of this. And and uh, so Phil was really about that pop too. Um, and then, you know, when I was preparing for coaching, I, I visited with a lot of coaches, uh, not just my coaches, but football coaches. Pete Carroll had a big influence on me, uh, Bill Parcells. I kind of had a, an in just because I, I, you know, was uh, I'd played in the NBA, so people knew who I was, and and I, I was with with a little help. Um, I'd reach out to people and say, "Hey, can I come visit?" and the, and everybody was so welcoming. But the thing that every coach told me was, "You got to be yourself. You know, you have to figure out um, how to make it authentic to you, because if you try to be Phil or Pop, people are going to see right through it." Um, so what I've found is I've just taken a whole lot from all the coaches that I've I've had, and I use a lot of that stuff. But it has to be me. It has to come from my heart. So so we might have a we have a Lou Olson drill. We have a Pop drill. Hmm. We have a Phil Jackson drill. Like I don't you know I don't necessarily tell the players this is where this drill came from or that. But I use a lot of drill work. But the the communication and the our vibe and the building the way we go about things that's that's all my personality as we tape this this is uh what is this november 9th so hopefully between now and when this runs the Golden State Warriors have put it back together. You, you haven't exactly gotten out of the gate in the way that <laughs> didn't you guys win the title last year? I thought, yeah, like, right? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's but it doesn't. Time. Does it not feel like it? Like, is has this whole trip? We'll get into what happened with Draymond. Like, it's been not your best start out of the gate. Is that that's an understatement? Yeah, that's an understatement. It, it's a very slow start, um, and I could I could point to a number of reasons and none of them really matter. You know, the only thing that matters is your, your record. And so uh, what we have to do internally is uh, address all of the, the things we're doing poorly and address any team issues or conflicts, anything like that. And we, you do that every day. And um, 
but you you know publicly um you're wasting your time if you you know start listing all the reasons for your slow start and uh bottom line is you just have to get it done as a as a group players and coaches uh, both and and uh, all together so we're in that process and i'm i'm really confident that we'll we'll be all right did what happened the fight at the practice that you know was made so much of is that one of the ingredients like like right away you guys weren't the cohesive Right. right, because you had to go through all that dysfunction, and you've said I've I've read and heard you say we've had meeting after meeting after you know one on one team, we're doing therapy together before we right. can go play basketball together. Right, right, yeah. So, you know that 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 set us back for sure. You know, it took up a lot of time. Um, it takes a lot of emotional energy. Uh, you worry about, you know, the players, uh, everybody. You worry about the, the young players. You witness it. You worry about Jordan. You worry about Draymond. Um, and so as a coach, that's, uh, again, that's all part of it. And, um, you have to deal with that. And every year, what makes coaching so interesting, um, is that every year is very different. And, you know, a year ago, we started out 18 and two part of that was, you know, we hadn't, hadn't been to the playoffs in two years, uh, the previous two years. And part of it was, um, you know, we, we had, a a group of, of vets who were really hungry, who wanted to reestablish that the Warriors were going to be really good. And so we came flying out of the gates. And uh, and then later in the season, we had a stretch where we lost nine out of 11 games. Um, and everyone was counting us out then. And um, obviously, we got through that spell and won the championship. So every year is kind of this journey and, and you have to, I think the a coach's biggest job is pacing the team through it all and not getting too high, not getting too low and, and try to try to guide guys both individually and collectively through the season. But it's kind of crazy to think you just won a title and then you probably face the toughest short period coaching issues of your whole career immediately after. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a metaphor for NBA coaching. You know, you, you really do see everything uh, if you're around long enough and, and um, it's uh, every team is so different. Every, every team has this kind of uh, I don't know, like a life force, you know, where you, you can feel it, you can feel the vibe. And uh, is it going in the right direction? Is it going in the wrong direction? Uh, you know, can it sustain um, and you sort of feel all this and you, ha you hash this stuff out with your, your general manager and the, the people who are running the team. And, um, and then you figure out, you know, what you need to do, um, personnel wise, strategy wise. And, but what an incredible job to be able to, to do this and, and to try to, uh, to figure it all out, um, as a group, it, it it's really fun. Do you feel like Draymond did everything that was necessary to try to repair what happened is it still a thing that needs more work. You know, I mean, you guys didn't get rid of him. You didn't suspend him. You just find him. Right. And he tried to get him back into the team and is, yeah, is Dray it back Dray together yet? I guess is the question. Yeah. Draymond's been great. I mean, he's, he's playing well, um, you know, as, as, as we talked about earlier, it, you know, it took us some time as a group to sort of, recover and sort through everything. Um, but, but he's been great. He's, he's all in, he's totally committed. He's, he's playing, uh, so hard and, uh, you know, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, really happy with the way he's, uh, he started the season, but we, we just have to find our ourselves as a team. Um, a lot of new players, a lot of young players. We're still trying to sort out roles and, combinations and that sort of thing, but, uh, we'll, we'll get there. I'm sure you loved that immediately after that happened, then everybody's like, well, Kerr himself had his own deal. It was a different situation. You and Michael Jordan, you two made your piece somehow. Right. And right. if I have it correct, you made it pretty quick. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, 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 you know, the, these things are, are always, um, unique to sports you know i think that's the the um the hard part for people who aren't in sports to understand um especially when you see video you know it uh, makes it seem worse right instead of just hearing the story right i mean hell in football 
there's like three fights a practice in two right. days. The linemen yeah. are always, you know, linebacker, somebody gets yelled. Like, I'm not excusing fighting. I'm not a pro-violence guy, but it does happen. Things get right. so hot. I have no idea what led to that one, but, right, people get angry, and that's yeah. unfortunately a way of expressing your anger. Yeah, yeah and, and, and so people, I think, on the outside kind of would maybe make the analogy like, or maybe even they do make the analogy, you know, um, people writing about it or observing. It's like, uh, hey, if you did that in a Starbucks, you'd get arrested. And it's true. You would get arrested. Um, but, you know. But Starbucks guys aren't banging off each other for a rebound. They're, <laughs> exactly. They're just making exactly. lattes. Like, this is the most competitive, uh, you know, situation you can possibly find. Not not just because of basketball, but because of what's at stake. I mean, it is, you know, these are life-changing jobs that these guys have and every player is under pressure uh, to, to perform, to stay in the league, to succeed, to uh, negotiate a great contract, to take care of their families. I mean, and it's life-changing money. And it's, so there's a ton of pressure and, and that's uh, part of why these, you know, altercations come in a physical sport where there's, you know, like you said, people banging into each other all the time. Um, fights happen. They really do. But but um, in my experience in sports, teammates sort of understand that and they get through it uh, pretty quickly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you like Last Dance? Did you like watching and reliving what that was all about? I did. I watched it with my kids who were all, you know, sort of either born during yeah. that that era or just before. And, and uh, you know, now they're all in their 20s. Uh, so it, it's uh, it was really fun to watch it with them and, and see their perspective on what our lives were like back then. Um, Were they yeah, like that, dad was pretty cool. He was on these <laughs> hitting threes. And, like, yeah. I mean, they knew you played basketball now you could, but right. They were too young to maybe appreciate it in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, that part was, was really fun. Um, you know, they, they can't, they can only cover so much. Uh, the, the one thing that disappointed me is that two guys really got left out, Luke Longley and Ron Harper, and they, they just weren't featured in in the the documentary and they were starters and really key players for us um championship players and uh you know after watching it i just felt so bad for those guys because you know it's like here we are 20 plus years later um it's kind of fun to be recognized for something that happened in a special era and here, here are two guys who were you know key parts of everything and they were they were barely referenced, and I, I I felt really bad about that. Well, we don't know who the who got the final cut. I know Pearl Jam played the final song. That was very fitting. The present tense song. That was cool. Did you, did you almost yeah. like get a little? Yeah, I got chills raising up. Yeah, hundred percent. Even people who weren't on the Bulls, including yeah. me. Uh, we hated you because you would. I mean, respectfully hated you because you know there's always that guy like, oh my god, he did it again. You like they bring him off the bench. He crushes the three. <laughs> I'm a Sonics fan, okay? So yeah. I want to play this out. 96 title series. George Carl's the coach. We've got Camp, Gary Payton. Nate McMillan was injured much of that series, right? Kind of in and out. Had he been healthy, can we agree it would have been a slightly tighter series? Uh, yes. Uh, Nate was a really key part of their team. And I remember when he came back, um, I think he came back in game four and they won games four mm-hmm. and five. Um, it, he was a, a huge part of their team. I will always just can circle back to the fact that Michael Jordan was just better than everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
you know, he had, he had amazing uh, support from Scotty and Dennis. I mean, the three of those guys together. Um, and then you throw Ron Harper in there and they're switching everything. Ku uh, coach. I mean, we had, Michael had great support around him, but um, you know, the Sonics had a hell of a team, but Michael Jordan was just different. So no matter what was going to happen, there was always going to be the Jordan factor to erase any advantage the other guys might have had. He was always going to win. Michael was always going (laughs) to win. That was was the feeling, not only in our team, but I think around the league, he cast that kind of a spell on the rest of the league. Well, what about being his teammate and you're coming down the court? I mean, all of us who just played garbage ball at the Y, never played any kind of level like you guys, you got two guys on your team you know are better players better shooters and there's always that reticence shit if i miss the shot that guy's gonna be pissed at me because he you know i mean was there any of that on the bulls yeah yeah you better make your fucking shot yeah you don't you you just didn't want to let him down you know and and uh and he would let you know about it if you did let him down and you know i think that was covered pretty well in the documentary that uh you know he led with this uh intimidation and and uh just fierce competitiveness that on, you know, one hand lifted us up, uh, but on the other hand, made it, made, made it difficult to play with them for, for a lot of people. And so you had to be able to get through that. I always felt like that was part of Michael's uh, strategy was I'm going to put these guys through hell because if they can deal with me, then they'll be able to deal with a playoff game. And you have uh, something there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, he was, essentially like a player coach and not a second coach on the team right. had that kind yeah. of authority. He and Phil had a great partnership yeah. and, uh, and that's, you know, I, 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 that was another great lesson for me, pop and, and Tim Duncan had a great partnership. Um, you know, when I became coach of the warriors, I, I had seen it. I had seen how important that Alliance is. And, and, uh, it's one of the reasons that, um, I count my blessings every day because Steph Curry is a really easy guy to build an alliance with. And we <laughs> share the ball. <laughs> yeah. We, we share a lot of the same values as human beings, but, but um, even as basketball players, you know, um, I, I, even though we're not exactly alike, I couldn't do anything that he, that he could do unless I was standing still, but, hmm. uh, but I, you know, you see the game as, as a guard and, and with, floor spacing and all that it's like yeah this this is going to work pretty well well it's kind of funny hearing you tell your travels you know all the way from youth watching wooden and then you got lute olsen and you got phil jackson you're around michael jordan popovich uh am i leaving a couple more people out i mean well i played with Shaq his rookie year in orlando i mean it's yeah. like uh you know, I, 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 I go down the list and I just, sometimes I just stop and I think this is crazy. Like my, I'm like the, you know, the Forrest Gump of the NBA, <laughs> like it just keep showing up in these, you know, historic eras and periods <laughs> and around all these incredible people. And But you were totally blessed by the game to make yes. you the coach that you are now. Right? Yes. You, you took all this information all of it. and then kind of did it your own way, but you borrowed from all these different sources. That's right. That's right. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great story. Um, uh, Phil in Chicago, we had uh, an out of bounds play called what the fuck. <laughs> and you know, that you, you get to Chicago and Phil says, all right, let's run what the fuck. And, and, you know, we're all like, well, why did, you know, why would they call a play? What the fuck? So one day, you know, after once I felt, comfortable enough. I said, I said, Phil, why do you call the play? What the fuck? And he says, well, cause red Holtzman was my coach in New York. And one game, the end of the game, he pulled us aside and he goes, all right, guys, um, what the fuck? Let's just run this. And he drew up this play and it worked. And so for the rest of that year, the Knicks called that play. What the fuck? Okay. So that was like 72. We call that play what the fuck right now with the Warriors in 2024. So put that thread all the way back to 1972. That's how the game is connected. You know, it's like through people, through phrases, through plays. Um, and it's just amazing to think about. Uh, is it still the same? Like, do other do other teams now scout you? They don't know which one of your plays is called what the fuck because you have several inbounds plays, I assume. No, they know one. exactly what they know when it went like when, when and and we have a signal for it. We just go like that, like as yeah. if you're saying, "Hey, what the fuck?" Right? So we just go like that. 
And the other team now, everybody knows it, knows the play. Um, but so the other team will be yelling, what the fuck, what the fuck? And I, and I always laugh thinking about the people in the first row going, what the fuck, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck is happening right now? Um, and it still works. It still works. I mean, I, it, I assume Steph shoots. Is, Steph, is it, Steph or Clay Steph shoots. Shoot at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and look, uh, you know, Luke Walton ran it, you know, when he was the head, all of Phil's disciples have run it. Uh, Brian Shaw, when he was coaching Denver, he ran what the fuck. Um, and, and we just keep calling it the same thing because of, you know, Red Holtzman just randomly saying at the end of a game in the early seventies, I, I just, I love that stuff. I love how, how connected yeah. the game is. Well, what the fuck is both the working title and the mission of this podcast? So, <laughs> You're in correct company there. Uh, did you have a good uh, personal relationship with Dennis Rodman? He's very eccentric. I've been around him a few times. I like him. Yeah. Um, but given his eccentricities, his tireless work effort, I mean, he was ridiculous. The, the defense he played and the rebounding and a, a great guy to have on your team. But you also then had to deal with the, the wild card shit that was going to come up. Right. Yeah, I, I I really liked uh, Dennis. Um, he was a lot of the stuff that he would do on camera was for show. He was really quiet yeah. behind the scenes, you know. And and um, but I think uh, he, you know, he loved Pearl Jam, as you know. Uh, he loved the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, he would uh, he was always involved in the music scene in Chicago, and you know, those of us who kind of liked the same music. Uh, Luke Longley, Judd Bushler, uh, we would, you know, we'd go to shows with him. Um, and that was an experience in and of itself, but, um, <laughs> we connected with him, you know, through, through music. And, um, he was, uh, just a, a really warm, uh, kind hearted person when you got past the facade and all the marketing stuff that he would do. And everybody appreciated that about him, but there was, you know, there there was sort of an expiration date that that we, we all saw. Like after three years, it just wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work anymore. And at that point, you know, as you all saw in the last dance, the the run was over anyway. But um, yeah, he was uh, he he's he's Dennis is a good he's a good human being. I once flew to San Antonio to shoot a story about him getting a haircut. That was the entire. Just really? hang out while he, he hair dye, I should say. Remember yeah, yeah. The multicolor, yeah. and it was everything you would think. It, it was just like if you go to dinner at Bill Walton's house, it's everything you think it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Bill's love the it. only impression that Kenny, you have four daughters. It's not where you've been; it's where you are. <laughs> That's not terrible, right? That's you gave me that note. It's really. Um, Do you feel bad for Oakland? You guys had such a good base there. Place was sold out. Huge enthusiasm. I went yeah. to your game the night before a Super Bowl. This was quite some time ago. It was Carolina, Denver, I believe. Um, and it, it was it was amazing. I mean, of course, it was Super Bowl week. It was even cooler. But then they lose their damn team. Yeah. They lost the Raiders. They lost yeah. you guys. I know you're just across the water, but that's a long drive. You know, it's a slow drive. Yeah, I mean the the connection is still there. You know, uh, we still have some guys who live in the East Bay. Um, you know, we still spend time in the East Bay occasionally, and uh, we're still the Golden State Warriors. We're still the Bay Area's team, but Oakland did take great pride in the Warriors and vice versa. And the fact that that the city has lost the Raiders and the Warriors, um, and now even the A's are talking about leaving. It it, it it's it's rough. It's, it's, um, you know, you, you feel, you feel terrible for the people in Oakland. Um, even though, like you said, you're, we're, we're only 10 miles away or so. Yeah. I, I have an affection for Oakland. I've never met a person from Oakland. I didn't like, I have a, like a stable of about eight or nine people through my yeah. life. And yeah. there's just something, there's something about vibe. it. It's a great there's a little accent over there. It's a little different. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I want to touch on, we were going, obviously, spent a lot of time on, on Steph. How how rewarding has it been to watch Clay Thompson come back from what was truly, like, for a lot of people, it could have been a career-ending thing. And it took a long time, right? And then he just stayed yeah. with it. 
And then, yeah, he, Clay went through hell for those two years. And, um, you know, for a guy who just loves to play basketball more than anything and prides himself on playing at a certain level, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy watching him. Um, and then, you know, when he came back, it was so inspiring just to, to see him out there. Um, especially, you know, once we got to the playoffs and he had some huge games in the playoffs for us and played such great defense and against Boston and, and knocked down, you know, huge shots. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was sort of the perfect culmination, sure. uh, winning that series and seeing him, seeing him play and seeing him so happy afterwards, uh, kind of made it all worth it. How come you never responded? Well, you did respond. You just didn't act upon my text. I think three or four times I was, I was fronting for Jamal Crawford when I was hoping. To ah, yes. I mean, yes. I know you, you know, you're running your team. You got the guys you're thinking, right. but he would have been a cool addition. He would have been. You're right. You're right. And and we actually thought about it. We, we, we talked about Jamal a couple of times. I would have liked to have had him a little bit earlier. If you had texted me maybe five years earlier, <laughs> I know he would have been a lot more expensive at that time. True. But, uh, I've always loved uh, Jamal. Um, uh, yeah, and I know you know him. Hey, sweetheart. Uh, just got a great way about him and and obviously uh just falls out of bed and gets you 20 points. <laughs> and now he's doing great work on TV. He he yeah. jumped into that role like one well, show deep, he already had it down. Like he's a smart guy, knows the game, obviously. Yeah. All right, one more Seattle connection. What was it like playing on the same court with Gary Payton and all the bullshit that he would talk during games? Great player, Hall of Famer, but he always tried to get under your skin, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, fortunately for me, I wasn't good enough to guard him. So <laughs> he, he never was talking shit to me. He was talking shit to somebody else. Uh, but I do remember, you know, those times where he would get switched on to you, like certain guys, you could just feel their length and intensity and quick hands. And he's one of those guys, like, as soon as he, you know, he's switched on to me, it was like, okay, move the ball. <laughs> Move the ball on ball movement, guys. <laughs> wanted no no part of that guy. <laughs> like you're you're trying to reverse. You just yeah. decided. Yeah. Um, is it true that you met your wife on a blind date? Is that story correct? Yes, it Tell is. Me that yeah. Story. Yeah. So uh, our uh, assistant coach Bruce Frazier, who sits right next to me um, on the Warriors bench, he was my teammate in college at Arizona, and he was dating my now wife's best friend and they decided uh, to uh, set us up and so the four of us went out kind of a blind date uh, my wife and I hit it off they broke up two weeks later and uh, you know here we are 35 years later or something or 1986 so did, what's that 34 did, did she offer resistance and you had to chase her or was it quickly you guys get got each other uh well no we 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 quickly hit it off um but uh yeah i mean i you know i i had to I had to work I had to work well this is the same question i asked lenny wilkins who just celebrated some 60 years some, some ridiculous uh, anniversary yeah. right? um the wives have to put up with a lot in, they sure do. in the NBA. You, you went to how many different teams and how many coaching different players, you know? Yeah. So yeah. how many times were there where she didn't want you to do that next thing because you were already settled where you were and it was like, oh, really? We have to, a little bit like you as a little kid, have taken off to Egypt. Yeah. Well, I played for six teams and um, you're right. It's always the, the wife who has the hardest time because coach goes to practice and meets immediate friends if the kids are school age, they go to school and they meet their friends. And then it's the wife who has to build a, a social life in a new city. Um, and that's not, not easy at all. So, uh, but my wife has been great in terms of <clears throat> understanding the NBA life, um, understanding, you know, what it's about and making the sacrifices and always making an incredible home for our family. And then, you know, just, uh, figuring out how to ride out the, the storm. I, I, there were, we had one year where I lived in Portland on my own and the, the Margo and the kids stayed in San Antonio because the kids were in school. And that's the hard part, you know, being in the league. Sometimes you have to do stuff like that. It's not easy. Did 
going through, I guess you're still going through because you're trying to get the team above 500 one day here. Going through this, does it make you want to coach more because there's a challenge and you're going to overcome it and be successful? Or do you ever have these periods like, all right, I've, I've won a bunch of titles. Like I could just golf a lot. Like, <laughs> no, I, it makes me want to coach more. I, I love the challenge. I love the competition. Um, I love the camaraderie, you know, there's no feeling like it. Um, you know, when a team comes together and really starts to perform and you see everybody happy, um, you can't, ma you can't match that. And I'm sure I'll get to a point at some point where I'm going to say, you know what, it's time to relax a little bit, but I'm, I'm far from that. Um, what the fuck? Thanks for your time. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs>